All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond the River podcast. Uh, I'm on the phone with Casey. Is it Dun Dunnigan? Is that Dunnigan? Um, uh, we're gonna have a little conversation about fly tying. Uh, he's a commercial fly tire himself. Um, you just want to say, hey, Casey, and give a little introduction for yourself. Um, so you, re- you said you really started out as a guide. How long did you do that for? Uh, four years. Uh, I guided for, um, the Lapping Grizzly fly shop in, uh, Longmont, Colorado. Uh, I guided in Rocky Mountain National Park and then, uh, moved a little bit south there and I guided for a company called the Fly Fisher Guide Service and we guided on the South Flat and a few other small creeks in the area. Uh, they didn't have a lot of permit. Uh, they were a pretty new company, but uh, they also had some private water, which was their, uh, you know, their money maker. So it was pretty. It was a pretty high end kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was. It, I actually like standing on the on the public water just because it kind of keeps your, you know, your wit sharp and uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so you said you did that for what, four years, and then did you start? T- you were tying. I'm sure you were tying for your guide clients and whatnot, right? Uh, yeah, here and here and there. I mean, actually, I started the business pretty much out of boredom. You know, I had uh, my son Declan, and then he would take naps during the day, and I would actually tie uh, while he was sleeping. And I kind of came up with this idea. I was like, man, I should be. You know, if I got enough time to tie these flies and, you know, maybe sell, sell my commercially tied stuff, um, you know, I did make a little bit of money for myself and then it kind of just uh, exploded into what it is now. Not that it's a big thing, but it's bigger than I that I would have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. So you, you guided for four years and then how long ago did you start the company? What year was that? Okay, so that's pretty. It's pretty recent. Yeah, yeah, it's a very recent thing. Yeah. So this was how long after your son was born? So he was born in July 2017. So I guess would have been about a little bit over a year after he was born. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw today. I didn't know this until I saw your post today that you're actually a stay stay at home dad. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. I'll be a stay-at-home dad. It, it's really cool. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, but living the. You also said that you'd rather be broke and poor because you get to spend that time with your son. That was kind of nice. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, it's exactly that. You know, I'd rather be broke and spend time with my son and you know work all day and have money. You know what I mean? It's. I mean, if you're any kind of decent person, I think it's gonna be. You know, you'd rather be poor and not have money and spend time with your your little boy or your daughter or whatever whatever you have, you know, whatever you're blessed to have. So I think it goes without saying. Mm-hmm. Definitely for sure. Um, so how did you originally get into fly tying? Um, is this is this is... <laughs> Mm-hmm. And honest to God, for whatever reason, man, that 
came over from there. And that guy really didn't tie anything else. It was just that fly. And from there, I was immediately hooked. And uh, I was self-taught from there on out. And, you know, I bought John Barr's book on, you know, John Barr's book, Barr Flies. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, his flies were a staple tie for me. You know, that's how I learned how to tie, you know? Yep. So that was... That was what almost twelve years ago now. It just just started, um, and yeah, that's kind of what part. Of, what part of Pennsylvania were you from? Uh, the Northeast. Um, I grew up in a really small town called Rockland, Pennsylvania, and my address was actually in Bloomsburg. Okay. And uh, yeah, so Bloomsburg was my actual address, but the town I lived in was Rockland. It was just kind of like a you know line, uh, just like for Luzerne County is where I live. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Okay, because I, I just graduated from Mansfield University, um, okay. which is not too far from there. There's there's t- tons of trout fishing around there. There is, man. It's funny because I didn't really know it at the time. And, like, every time I go back, I go and fish, like, all these rivers around, uh, like, State College and things like that. I mean, State College is a little bit of a hike, but it's not really that bad considering, if, you know, you live in the front range in Colorado where I did. I mean, you're driving two hours pretty much, you know, if you want to go fish some water for whatever reason, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's really not, really not that much of a hike. But yeah, every time I go home, I get to go fish, like, some new water that, you know, I've never touched in my entire life, and it's so much fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, I've, I've fished State College a lot. Um, I'm part of the Confed- um, National Fly Fishing League. Um, we do a lot of competitions down there, and there's some just awesome water down there. It's some of the best fishing. Yeah, there is. That's great to hear, especially, they have done a lot. I've heard similar stories with a lot of other creeks. Um, but kind of jumping back into it, so then your, your first fly you ever tied um, was in that hog sticker then, that like red worm with wire around it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, yeah, it was you know, that pig sticker it's called. Uh, but yeah, it was, like I said, on this must-die, kind of like feet hook, if, if you will. I, I really can't explain it. But, uh, yeah, it was just red thread and then silver wire just segmentally wrapped up, up to the to the head and whip finish. I mean, it was, you know, a 30-second fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember we fished those when I was in Montana. Um, we tied yeah, it when we were out there. there. was a big fly there, too, and that in Wyoming as well. Um, so then you fast-forward 11 years, um, 11 almost. So you started commercially tying with Flies and Ties in 2018 correct yep. when, when did you start doing the custom flies for that other company for montana fly oh um, man that happened three uh, well that happened two years two years after i started tying man and uh, like i said it was i 
was a good time for me to get in because there wasn't all this uh, like showmanship on Instagram and uh, all the social media. Um, I was collecting a lot of bugs, and the funny thing was, man, I had a, a really good friend. He was a mentor of mine. He lives in Hawaii now, and he he was a realistic fly fighter. Like I don't know if you've ever seen anybody tie like realistic stuff, mm-hmm. but he he would honestly collect bugs, take them home, and just do the most magical stuff with out of this world materials. I'm talking like out of latex gloves and what have you. Anyways, you know, he was a mentor of mine, and I, you know, like, he was designing, he had this killer Karanabit pattern that was, like, the most disastrous lake fly, like, you can bag, like, 30, 40 fish a day on this Karanabit pattern on, on these lakes that we had in Colorado. I was like, dude, how did, like, how did you, you know, make this pattern so successful? And he's like, honestly, just collect bugs and look at flies in their real state, and, uh, kind of go off of what you see. You know, you're going to, you know, tweak things here and there. But, you know, he was like, a, like I said, he was realistic. But me, I wanted to be, I didn't want to be realistic. I wanted stuff that tied. So this stuff took a long time to tie. But I wanted stuff that was impressionistic and, you know, effective at the same time. Not that this stuff wasn't. It just took a long time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, pretty much how I got into it, man. I, I selected everything from, you know, Drake, PMD, Vegas. Uh, you name it, I mean, Calabas. Um, but I ended up with like a slew of patterns right off the bat with Montana Fly Company. And it was, I think, uh, you know, I, have, I had a stuck pattern right off the way, right off the bat, rather. It's like uh, a penny dropper Pedius, the penny dropper PMD, uh, Great Drake Dim. Mm-hmm. Um, had a Clearwater Emergers called. Uh, a lot of them are still in production, some of them to discontinue just from. You have to sell, you know, a certain amount of dozens per year for a fly to stay in production. But, uh, sorry to get off track, man, but that's pretty much how the whole thing happened, man. Uh, nowadays, it's probably definitely so hard to get a fly in edgewise because of all the, you know, publicity, not publicity, but so much, but just like so many eyes are on so many things nowadays that it's, it's kind of hard to be original. Yeah. Um, so how does that work when you have a fly through there? Do you get royalties on the uh, the flies? You, you get so much per fly sold, or yeah. So the way that it works. So I think you know the way that Uncle works, and I think uh, Montana Fly Company probably like Rainy's all do. They probably all do the same thing. So you can take a cash payout, which is a, a certain percentage, and uh, I know that Montana Fly Company's cash payout, like you actually want to check they pay it every quarter based on sales. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if they sell, you know, a thousand, you know, a thousand dollars worth of your flies in a quarter, you get, you would get 5% of that in a cash, a cash payout. And what else, what you can also do is, and what I've done from the beginning is take store credit with them, which is, which gives you access to their full line of flies uh, and all their materials, their books, whatever have you. And it gives you 15% of your sales. So, yeah, so, you know, you get $1,000 in a quarter, you know, you get 15% of that, and then you can spend that on anything that Montana Flight Company produces, ties, or, you know, carries uh, in their product line. That's pretty sweet. I never knew that that's how that worked. Um, yeah, yeah. So,
So your panty dropper seems to be like your big fly. I know that's the I'm pretty, the artwork of that is your profile picture, correct? Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, I had uh, a girl that I met on Instagram uh, draw that up for me. A lot of people know who she is. Uh, I'll I'll name drop her because she's freaking amazing, man. TK Two Design. Um, and she's from Wyoming originally, but she is probably one of the most amazing artists I've ever, I've ever seen. Um, she loves the flatfish and, uh, such a cool person. So I, she deserves recognition, man. She's, uh, super, just, just down to earth and just wants to help people out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you kind of said that your mentor kind of looked at bugs specifically and he developed his patterns by trying to make them look super realistic. How did you how did you go about developing that pattern specifically the panty dropper? It's kind of a it is kind of an imitation. I, I've looked at it. It's kind of realistic but flashy at the same time. Um, so yeah. how, how'd you kind of go about making that? So um, when I was collecting names, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't really they probably don't really do that much uh, bug examination anymore, but. You can you can collect names that are kind of early in their life cycle, and then you can collect names that are kind of uh, you know further along in their life cycle, and their their wing pads are more prominent and more pronounced. And uh, if you start to look at maturing nymphs, you know, kind of like later in their later in their nymphal stage, like you know, say like green grapes in the west, they usually hatch around late June, early July, and then you, know, you got your PMD that kind of like even overlap that. So if you collect those nymphs in that time frame, you know, they're, you can see like their, their, uh, their wing pads are on their back and they start to almost like kind of lift up and they're more pronounced. And uh, they kind of make that V cut. And if you look at that bug, uh, the panty dropper, mm-hmm. um, that's why, you know, that there is that pronounced V cut in the back. Uh, on that fly, and I mean that the fly was not named to be, uh, you know, anything kind of perverted. Mm-hmm. It was made to be fish as a dropper fly, and it was just kind of—I don't know—it. I was young at the time, and you know, it just kind of happened to come out that way. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, I, sometimes I wish I would have named it something different. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's meant to be fish as a merger pattern off of a dry fly. But you know, I have a lot of friends that are guys that. say a dropper you mean the it's the fly that isn't higher in the water column are you bottom i mean, I mean you get uh, you know when i say a dropper um you know i usually fish it off of a dry something pretty buoyant mm-hmm. um so just really i mean when if fish, if fish are taking any mergers they're, they're pretty much you know a few you know, they could be any i mean depending on the depth of the water i mean they could be six inches below the water or they could be there below the surface or they could be you know two feet below the surface so that that fly is high with the tungsten bees so it can get down mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely how I feel like I tackle some of the bigger tailwaters. I just have a fly that really isn't there to catch fish. It's just to drop me to the bottom and then usually catch my fish on the other fly. Um, but, you know, the name is kind of funny um, because you have all these names, and primarily with streamers. I don't know how much you do with streamers. Um, but never. But um, the name was kind of funny to me because when you have, you see all these streamer names and they're ridiculous. I know I tie some of Kelly Gallup's patterns. Um, it's called the Butt Monkey. He's got the Sex Dungeon, the Barely Legal. Um, was there was there any kind of like influence from from those when you when you came and made up with the name? No, no, not at all, man. Uh, maybe I was just like a pervert and didn't really know it. <laughs> I was just, uh, no, like, no, I heard of Kelly Gallup's Sex Dungeon, you know, uh, but like I said, it wasn't meant to be, like, perverted, I'm just, I'm just messing around, but, uh, it was just one of those things that it just kind of happened that way, and then, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, you know, somebody, I think somebody had mentioned the Sex Dungeon to me, I was like, oh man, that's an awesome name, but, uh, I think it was on, like, Charlie Craven's website, and, you know, I read about the explanation of the Sex Dungeon, and, why it was called the Sex Dungeon, but uh, it was just because there was so much crap going on with the fly, and I guess from what I've heard, there's a lot of things that go on in Sex Dungeon, so that's where that name came from. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, I didn't know that. Um, that's so weird. Um, but, so, you have that, that's your signature, that's kind of your signature pattern right now, is the panty dropper. Yeah, what I'm most known for yeah for sure I mean I, I probably push that more than anything it's my most I don't know I think I have like the most confidence in that fly you know I fish it like spring through fall mm-hmm. um, so I think that's probably why I think always on it's always on my fly line most of the time most of the winter time I'm just fishing minis or whatever but yeah plus you have a lot of variations of it for different hatches and stuff correct I'm sorry? you have a lot of variations of it like different color schemes for different hatches i yeah, saw you know like sometimes i get lazy you know i don't want to tie like the wing base or something like that i have you know i have like this cheap variation where i don't put the wing base on or just like the you know like a regular straight variation without the actual legs and it has floral fibers for legs mm-hmm. but uh, they all work really really well i think it honestly i just think it's the color scheme that goes on with the fly itself um, you know, it's definitely not the best fly out there, but I mean, it catches me a lot of fish, and I have friends that fish it a lot, it catches them a lot of fish, so that makes me happy, man. I, like I said, there's there's tons of flies out there that work just as well. It's not the fly, you know, for, it's not the, the fly for every situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely fish a lot of other flies, too, so, uh, you know, I'm not, not by any means to my own horn, like it's the best fly ever, it's just something that I have confidence in, I love it, and I love to fish it, you know, just like, you know, you take, like, Spencer Higa's, um, what's that like called, the SOS, mm-hmm. for Save Our Souls, that's like his, his dropper fly, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of, it just goes, goes hand in hand, nobody really takes their own part about it, unless you have a gigantic head, you know. <laughs> yep, yep, for sure. Um, so... You tie. I know you say you don't. You don't really tie streamers that much. You tie primarily mostly nymphs. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm. You know, it's, it's funny, man. 
time, like ever since the whole pipelining thing came along, it, I think it's good everybody, everybody wants to do it, it's fun, and once you get a hang of it, man, it's hard to let go of it, because you can literally clean out a hole, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can clean out a run, you know, I mean, it's almost like cheating in a sense, but, you know, I will definitely, if I'm given the opportunity, I will definitely pitch dry flies, if, you know, there's, there's a bunch of noses coming up and stuff like that. You know, streamers for me is, uh, for trout, it's not ever really on my list. Until, like, one of my buddies catches, like, a giant trout on the streamer, and then I'm like, nah, I should probably be some streamers someday for trout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I, I that's what we do a lot in competitions. We do a lot of tight lining, um, and you know, how have you kind of? Because I know our flies are kind of sparse. We use a lot of thread bodies, um, which is tail fibers, basically thread, a little bit of ribbing, and then just some dubbing, and then done. Um, our whole attitude is kind of tie as quickly as possible so we can fish. Um, but. Have you kind of seen that shift overall in the tying community where it's it's kind of changed from those realistic patterns to now these more just flashy, attractive, and suggestive patterns rather than the realism? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I saw you to tie at the fly fishing show. I didn't do the whole circuit. Um, I just did it when it came to Denver at the time. And there was there was a really big movement in realistic stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And like I said at the time, man, there was no Instagram. There wasn't any of that, you know, social media where people can go and just look at that stuff. So when when people would come and see the guys that were tying that stuff and see how real it actually looked, because they would have bug samples mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and show their fly next to these bug samples. People are like losing their minds, you know? They're like, holy crap, you know what I mean? Yep. Obviously, you've never seen it before, and a lot, a lot of people catch that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, fly fishing kind of goes in a way, you know, it's like a, a certain trend. But yeah, like, that stuff came in, and then I think people quickly realized, like, okay, you know, this is really cool, but it takes me, like, 30 minutes to tie this fly. It's not really worth my time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's like, things go in trends. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't really seen any realistic tires in a, quite a while. I know there's some dudes on Instagram that I probably haven't seen. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that came in for a few years, and then, you know, it moved its way out. But uh, there is definitely an art to it, man. There's there's some dudes out there who tie some unreal stuff, man. I mean, they probably don't fish it, because I probably wouldn't want to spend three or four hours on a fly and, you know, throw it in the water. I'd probably put it in a, uh, you know, a glass case somewhere and it's do, you know, the real thing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so as far as when you're, when you're tying orders, tying bigger orders, um, how do you make your tying more efficiently? Um, do you, do you tie, you know, when you have like, say a bunch of like flies to tie, do you tie each fly individually or do you go step by step with each fly? How do you go about that? Um, I mean, I don't really tie gigantic orders, but I mean, some, some flies are monotonous. Uh, so like, take for example, I think. One of the flies that I tie a lot uh, is a fly called the HDA. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, a fly by uh, Norm McClymouth. It's called the, you know, it's called the HDA. It's called the like, High Desert Angler. He's from New Mexico. But more or less, it's like, it's almost like a guide's choice there, there on a on a jig hook. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty much what it is. <laughs> but I mean, soft tackle flies, they kind of take a long time to tie, man. But, uh, 
like four or five dozen at a time or something like that outside up until I have to, you know, do the soft tackles because it's strange, like, when you tie, like, bead flies and soft tackles, you never really have a cape that has the exact sizes that you want. So a lot of times I'm making dubbing loops for my soft tackle stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so I can actually get to be fortunate and not have fibers that are, you know, a body and a half length long. So, yeah, like, I'll tie the bodies off and then with fish come back and just do all the soft tackles. So, I mean, I think you'll some dudes will post and stuff when they're tying a lot of shooters, you know, tie the, you know, the back ends first and, you know, guys like Rich Strollas and things like that, they'll, they'll tie the back ends first and then come back and, you know, attach their articulated shanks or whatever to their flies and go bad that way. It's just more efficient, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so what is your favorite material to tie with? Favorite material? That's a hard one. Um, I don't know that I have one. Uh, <laughs> actually, actually, to be honest, I think it would actually be, uh, self-made dubbing from a hair's mask. Like, right down the center between the eyes, that's like the darkest part of the hair's mask. Mm-hmm. And it's so nicely and I mean you know there's so many flies that are tied with it you know you got your hairs ears waltz worms whatever have you uh, you can pretty much tie any nymph and it darkens even more when it's in the water and it, it has like a natural oily uh, uh, natural like I guess natural hair oils on it so that it comes on to your thread nicely and it's spiky too at the same time so you're that buggy so yeah maybe probably actual, you know, get, get a hair's mask and cut down the center between the eyes all the way down to the nose and put it in a coffee grinder and mix that stuff up and, yeah, that might be my favorite, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so then, what's your least favorite material to tie with? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe squirmy, wormy material. <laughs> Why is that? definitely are a pain in the ass I have like a bunch in the bottom of my vest they're all broken and need to be retied um I really hate working with deer hair Especially because I'm trying to tie a lot of these streamers now. Not necessarily to fish them. I just think they look really cool. Um, but a lot of them had those those big deer hair heads. And it's just, it's hard to get the deer hair that tight. And you'd spun around and then trim it nicely. Like this, like this, like this neck bunny head and all that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I had my go around with that, but just like trying to learn how to do deer hair. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Sometimes you don't know till the end. Yeah, exactly. And then you're 40 minutes in and you have a shitty head on your fly. Yeah, it sucks, man. I, I know, I know the feeling. Um, so you kind of touched a little bit on the change, um, as you see in the, in the fly tying community. Where do you think it's headed in the future? Yep, yep, yep. Hot spot on it, and it's hot. So, uh, not, you know, like I said, a lot of different flies work for a lot of different people, whatever. I mean, it just worked really well for me. And I had, you know, a few friends try it out, and they liked it, so I submitted it. You know, I got turned down uh, just because of popularity reasons. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but uh, I'll, I'll explain it another time. But uh, anyway, um, it's kind of strange, man. Like, you, this, this, this kind of goes back So you think we're going to see less jig flies? Because I remember a few years ago, jig flies were not super popular. And now if you look at my fly box, I only have jig flies. So you think we're going to start shining? Oh, yeah, dude. I have, you know, it, <laughs> I think, like, if, if you're into tie lining, you're, you're going to have 95% jig flies. If you love it and you're successful at it. Um, but, I mean, if you're not... And I think, honestly, man, another thing I think it boils down to is if you live somewhere where tight lining is feasible for you, because tight lining is not for every every river system. It's not for every situation. No. You know, if you're fishing in giant river, I mean, I've, I've actually tight lined out of a crystal before. It works, but it's not as cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, I mean, it, it, I think it really just depends on, you know, where you live and what you have access to, and well, a, a lot of times, I, don't, I mean, you're a fly tire too. Yeah. So how how often how often do you tie flies at different sizes? 
Um, different sizes, not so much. I usually tie about 16, 18. That's just standard. But I, I change my weights because I'm not. I don't use split shot. So when when I change when I go to change weights, I just cut off and tie a heavier fly on or a lighter fly on. So I'd say I have like I use tungsten beads. I start at a two o. I go two five, two eight, uh, three o, three five, four o, and then those are my weights. I have seven weights. Yeah, and I, and I think honestly, I think it's where a lot of people struggle because not everybody, uh, you know, time flies. So I think it comes down to like, oh man, you know, this fly isn't heavy enough. And like today, for instance, I was out with my son, and like I had uh, a fly on the bottom as like a three point millimeter comes to me, and it still wasn't heavy enough to get down. So I tied, you know, a dropper on above that with another, you know, probably a two point eight millimeter comes to me, and finally I got in the zone and started catching fish. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things where I think a lot of people are like, oh man, you can push try, I'm not getting down. And a lot of people, like I said, aren't flying flies, and they don't have the 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 arsenal of flies that most fly tires have. So I think that that's another thing that limits people. You know, with actually tight lining, but I mean, you can still certainly tight line with the shot. But you know, at that point, you don't really necessarily need jig flies. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so as far as your goals kind of with your business, um, what are you kind of hoping for in the, in the near future and then long-term with it? Um, so honestly, man, uh, <laughs> so not a lot of people know, but you know, I lived in Colorado for 13 years and I just moved, uh, right outside of Asheville. I live in Fletcher, North mm-hmm. Carolina now. Um, my ultimate goal is to start my own guide service. That's, I knew I was going to be moving to North Carolina a few years ago, and um, I want to start my own guide service, whether it's weight trips or, you know, float trips. Mm-hmm. We're going to purchase a, a Raptor uh, pretty quick. I'm probably going to have to get linked up to the shop soon, but the ultimate end goal, I don't want to own a fly shop at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I, want, I, I do want to have my little my fly tying business, but I'd rather be my own contractor um not not really so much contractor but my own you know my own business running my own trips i don't want to hire anybody i just want to have something to call my own you know make enough money that i'm happy and uh hopefully my son can follow in my footsteps i in ultimate you know in all reality like i i really just want him to have something to maybe take over when I'm done and gone or you know, if he wants to fly fishing if he doesn't, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not gonna be heartbroken over it. I but I I try to uh uh expose him as much as I can to uh the outdoors and give him some sort of like foundation to appreciate what I appreciated as a kid and still appreciate this day. Yeah, that's pretty much the end goal to have to have my own guide service and uh still have some kind of like small Mm -hmm. that's pretty sweet well definitely best of luck with that um so you said you you like to incorporate your son in the outdoors a lot Uh, i saw it today you had him strapped to your back um how you know how easy is it to fish with that uh it can be a little bit painstaking when he's you know bouncing up and down a little child carrier but Honestly, man, like when you hook a fish, he, he just like, he stops 
pretty sweet um so i'm about to wrap it up um but you know how can people kind of follow your stuff um on socials um see your work what do they have to go to Definitely appreciate you taking the time chatting with me. I felt like I learned a lot, and definitely cool. To, I always love talking to fishy dudes. Um, and, Hi, brother. And I appreciate that, man. Yep. 